Amen, amen, amen. Have you ever done anything that you regretted? If you say no, I'm going to give an altar call right now and you're going to be the first saved. Have you ever found yourself in a place that you wish you were never in? By a decision you made? Nobody else's fault. I can blame whoever I want, but it was my fault. I wanted to blame Shelly. I may even blame Shelly, but I knew it was my fault. Sometimes we do things and regret it. And it takes us to places that we should never be. I remember years ago, Shelly and I were going to see my sister for Christmas. I had borrowed my in-law's car. It was a nice, newer car. Back then, I was driving some piece of junk. And I got out to Oklahoma. We decided to go from Duncan, Oklahoma to Corsicana, Texas. Going to go see my sister for Christmas. We roped her brother into going with us. He wasn't married at the time, and so me and Shelly and her brother, we set off, and it was late at night. Late at night. And believe it or not, down in southern Oklahoma, and then we was going in Texas, it was cold. It was already freezing temperatures. As we drove down, the temperatures plummeted. It got colder and colder. I, I want to say it was, it, it was in the low teens or maybe in, even getting down to single digits, which you hardly hear of down in the Dallas area. As we're driving along, we kept going. I kept thinking, this is not the wisest decision I've ever made. We had no kids. We were dumb and having fun. We just do whatever. We just jump in the car and go somewhere. We got down to Waxahachie, Texas, and the car began to stall out. Now, mind you, we went out there for Christmas in Duncan, Oklahoma, wearing T-shirts and blue jeans. I don't even know if we had a sweatshirt with us because it wasn't, wasn't cold where we was at. We wasn't thinking it was going to get cold. We took that trip with light jackets, and the car stalled out. By the way, this was B.C., before cell phones, okay? Just let you know. I'm, yeah, I'm that old. Look at this whisk. I'm that old. So here we are on the side of the road, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I made a dumb decision. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting on the side of the road in freezing weather. The car's not going to stay warm for very long. It's died out. I thought to myself, I know people here in town. One of the good things about traveling and evangelizing, we know people all over the country. Know people all over the country, friends of ours that will help us out. But I wasn't near a phone. So I told Shelly and her brother, I said, you guys stay in the car. I'm going to find a phone. I'm looking for a pay phone with some, with some uh, white pages. I can go through and find my pastor friend and call him and, and let him know what's going on. So that's what I do. I take off walking. But as I'm walking, I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is nuts. What am I doing out here? I'm freezing. My nose, my ears, my toes, they're freezing cold. Until After a while, they weren't freezing cold anymore. They were just in pain. They were hurting so bad. I finally get to the phone. I was so glad I had change. For those of you who know what a payphone is, I'm glad I had change. I dialed up my pastor friend. His name is Brother Harrington. And I called him up and I said, Brother Harrington, I said, this is Drew Foster. I said, I am on the side of the road out here. And I said, we are broke down. My wife's in the car. Brother, I said, can you help me out? And he goes, where are you at? I'm coming to get you. Three o'clock in the morning. He comes and gets it. The story has a good ending. 
out of all the stupid, the stupid things and, and, and the decisions I made, he comes and picks us up. By the time we get back to his house, his wife has soup warmed up and ready for us and, and warm drinks. And we had, she had our beds all, and we had blankets everywhere. I was just like, wow, we should have just booked this motel before we ever left. We'd have been all right. But we make decisions spontaneously sometimes, accidentally sometimes, and they get us in trouble. Guess what? Sometimes they're on purpose. They're just simply on purpose. I've did some things, Brother Scotty, they're just on purpose wrong. Can I confess? Can, can we be transparent today? I've did some things that I wish I'd have never did, and it took me to places I wish I'd have never been and never should have been. I'm glad I have friends that will help me out when I've done some, something stupid. But you know what? But more than that, I'm glad that I have a God. <laughs> I'm glad that I have a God. He doesn't kick me to the curb when I make a mistake, Taylor. When I make a mistake, he doesn't kick me to the curb. He loves me in spite of myself. We're going to have to sing that song soon. That's two messages in a row. I can't get that off my heart. He loves me in spite of myself. I'm glad wherever I go, whatever I do, no matter how bad my decisions are, God's still looking for me. He's running to me. He's calling out my name. I'm glad when we make mistakes that we have someone we can go back to. I'm glad we can make a mess of things and we still have someone that loves us. I'm glad that when I do stupid things, God still loves me. We're going to go to the book of Luke today, chapter 15. I'm going to read several verses if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. The beloved physician, Luke, chapter 15 and verse 11, wrote these words. I'm in the New King James Version. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. Now, this is not anything unusual to get your inheritance like this. This is what the Roman culture at the time was doing this. But then also, it says them. He so he divided to them. So this boy wasn't the only one who got his inheritance. It was at least divided whether they actually took it at that point. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. By the way, this word joined, it means, and it's translated into forcing himself upon somebody that was unwilling to be his employer. He was a beggar. All right, we get that? He was a beggar. Verse number 16. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. King James Version says the husks. But when he came to himself, how many knows we had to come to ourselves? We had to come to ourselves. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. He's coming to his senses. 
He said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I love this because he's already planning his repentance. He's already, he's already did it in his heart, and he's already rehearsing it. This is what I'm going to say right here. I am, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then he did the, one of the most important things. He arose. He got up. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And they began to be merry. I want to preach today with the subject. When grace kissed the prodigal. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, it's a light to our path. I ask you, Lord, because it's already anointed, would you anoint me today to plant the seed of the word in the hearts of your people? Lord, that it take root and grow. I ask you, Lord, today to hide me behind the shadow of the cross that I may minister your word. Let us see and let us hear what you want us to see and hear that we'll receive from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. I promised myself I wasn't going to cry today. I can't even get through my text. Hallelujah. When grace kissed the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son comes on the heels of two other stories that Jesus is telling in chapter 15. The Pharisees and scribes were murmuring about Jesus because he received and ate with sinners. Wow, somebody complaining. <laughs> Isn't that like the church today? Not, not you guys, but other churches People want to murmur and complain, be critical about something else, someone else when they're trying to do kingdom work. Lord, help us. Jesus was not entertaining guests and going out to eat for pleasure. He was on a mission. Jesus was on a mission. Don't get the two confused. People say, well, you know what? I have to do this with my friends so I can develop a relationship so I can do it. You know what? I just got to take a little drink with my friends. Just got to go to a place I shouldn't be with my friends because I want to win them to Jesus. Don't confuse what Jesus was doing. Don't confuse it. He wasn't trying to fit in. He wasn't being a good old boy. I think it was Mid-South years ago had a song that said, good old boys don't go to heaven. Christians do. Saved do. Believers do. He wasn't trying to be a good old boy. Or just doing things that everyone else was doing. Jesus was on a mission. Listen to this in Mark 2 and 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <laughs> Hallelujah. He was on a mission. 
Jesus was on him. His mission was to call sinners to repentance. One time somebody told me, said, I don't like it when you call me a sinner. I said, I, I'm, I'm calling you what the Bible calls you. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not being derogative toward you. I said, when there's sin in your heart, when there's sin in my heart, I said, I'm a sinner. I said, that's what Jesus, that's Jesus' word. So you're really not offended at me. You're offended at Jesus. I'll get off the soapbox. This story about the prodigal is the third one in chapter 15. The first was about the hundred sheep and one was lost. And how a man went searching for that one sheep and found it and with rejoicing carried it back. Carried it back. Hallelujah. The scripture says, I love this part, Luke 15 and 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. There's a celebration in heaven when someone gives their soul, gives their life, commits themselves to Jesus Christ. The next story was about the lost coin. It talked about a woman and then having 10 pieces of silver and she lost one of them. She turned on the light. She swept the house and diligently looked until she found that one piece of silver. Then in Luke 15 and 10 it said, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. That one person, let me tell you, you are important to God. I said it last week, maybe Wednesday night. I believe he would do it all over again if I was the only human that needed salvation. He would do it again for us because he cares about that one. But I want to look at the prodigal. I know you've heard this over and over and over. I'm not going to be up here very long, so you guys better get ready. Get, get ready, get ready, get ready. I want to look at the prodigal. There were some great things to unwrap here and to preach. And, and if Taylor was up here, or Brother Burl, or, or brother, brother Earl, or Brother Bishop, or, or brother, Carden calls him Brother Bishop instead of Brother Webb, they'd all preach this better than I could. But you know what? I, I got the mic right now, so I'm going to do it. We could talk about how the father was looking for his son and saw him from afar off. Can you imagine? We've seen that in the scripture where he sees his son from afar. From afar off, there's an image there. Do you know I can tell that boy from afar off? He has a distinct look to him. I know he's my son. When I see Carden, I, he has a distinct look. I know he's my son. When I see Peyton, he's a distinct look. And if I'm looking for him, I can see him from afar off and recognize who they are. I love this story. We could tell the father's compassion for his son, how he ran to meet him. And welcome him home, and how he put a robe on him, how he put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, had a great big party, and they ate the fatted calf, and the Bible says, begin to be merry. But that's not what I'm preaching. All that's great. All that's good. I believe it. Maybe one day I'll come back and just preach each one individually. But what I wanted to talk about is something that happened right in the middle of this story. <laughs> The part of the story that may go unnoticed unless we read it carefully. If you have a pastor that's preaching it. Luke 15 and 20. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great, great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What love. What love. Man, what love. His dad knew what that son was doing. He knew he was in the wrong. 
It didn't change his love. It didn't change his love. Yes, the boy came to himself. Yes, realized that his father's servants were living better than he was. And yes, the boy got up and went to the father's house. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. He ran and fell on his neck, kissed him. We all know this is an example of Christ and how he sees us and how much he loves us. I've seen one commentary that said, this is the only place in the Bible where you'll see God run. The only place in the Bible you see God, and he's running to a sinner. <laughs> we all know this, this example of our Heavenly Father and his great love for us. How we walk away from the goodness he gives. He gives it to us and we'll squander it away. We don't hold it in great value. We just let it go. But when we come to ourselves, we come to our senses, we make a move to come back home to God. He sees us from a great distance with his love as his motive. <laughs> his love is his motive for what he does. He runs to us. He not only runs to us, he runs to us and wraps his arms around us, buries his face into our neck, and kisses him. Taylor, come here. He buried his face right into his neck. Get out of here. <laughs> Make me cry more. Thank you, son. I needed a hug today. He wraps his arms around us, buries his face into our neck, and he kisses us. The word fell in verse 20 means to embrace with affection. Or to seize. Or to seize. I know you may think this is strange. But my sister-in-law lost her husband. He passed away with Lou Gehrig's disease. Two small babies. We'd go see her. We prayed for her all the time. And loved her. When she'd come in, we'd come into the house. She would hug Shelly. She'd hug the boys. And she'd come to me. And I would hug her. And she'd tell me, she said, it feels so good to be hugged by a man. Now, get your mind out of the gutter. It was nothing to do with that. It was that embrace of love. It was that embrace of love. She knew that I loved her. I still love her. She knew that I loved her. And that embrace. There's something about a hug. There's something about a hug. That embracing. That we just need. We crave. But that's what it means. When he fell on his neck, he embraced him with affection. Or to seize. That's what brings me to my sermon title. What was really happening in this story was an example of God embracing us with affection and kissing the prodigals. Something incredible happens when grace kisses the prodigal. Grace came running to the prodigal from a great distance with compassion, which means a yearning or a feeling of sympathy. That dad had love and compassion 
chasing, not chasing, but running to his son. And not only that, he embraced him, gave him a kiss. Dr. Google, Dr. Google said this, a sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortune of others is what compassion means. And Brother Merriam-Webster said this, sympathetic consciousness of others' distress, together with the desire to alleviate it. That's what compassion means. It was the love of the Father. His Father saw him from afar off and recognized who he was. What I love about this is when the Father saw his child, he ran to him. He didn't even care where he had been. He didn't care what he smelled like. I'm one of these guys about smell. I mentioned it a few weeks ago about, you know, my dad's always getting a glass of milk and taking a drip. He goes, smell this if you think it's ruined. No. I'm not smelling that ruined milk or orange juice or whatever. I don't care if my son's been gone, where he's been when he comes back. I don't care what he smells like at that moment. I just want to hug him. I want to kiss. That's the way our Heavenly Father is. We can be gone away from him, but when we come back, he doesn't care what we've been into. What he cares about is love, and he wants to change things for us. He wants to put a new robe on us. He wants to put sandals on our feet, rings on our fingers, kill the fatted calf and be merry. Hallelujah. That's what God wants to do for us. Hallelujah. Here's the funny part. The boy didn't even ask for forgiveness yet. If you read the scripture, what you see there is he starts to repenting. He rehearsed it in verse 19. He was, he was, he was going to do this. And he, when he starts saying it, the dad interrupts and says, this is my son's home. Get the robe. Get the ring. The heart was right. The dad recognized the heart was right. He was coming back with a repentant heart. And that's the reason why the father just kissed him with grace. The boy started to repent. The father interrupted him. He had intended to continue his repentance just like he rehearsed it. The father, father already knew his heart. Today, the word grace is used in a variety of ways. It's a word that's been used as an alternative term for a prayer. We want to say grace at the table. Pray for our meals. I say it like this, Lord, would you bless my food and all these sinners I'm sitting with? It's been used to describe the way a person moves. It'd probably be like my dance moves, gracefully. You've seen me do that before. I'm not even going to embarrass myself. Maybe a little chicken, but not, that's it. It's also been used by parents, naming their daughters Grace. But what is Grace? You may have heard this acronym, Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Hallelujah. That's a good way to characterize grace. But one of the best known definitions of grace is only three words. God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. I told you I'm not going to be up here long. We didn't deserve his grace, but he gave it to us anyway. God's grace was something I couldn't earn, but he'd give it to me anyway. It's something I can't buy. I couldn't afford it, but he'd give it to me anyway. It's something I could never attain on my own. It was a gift from God. Our Father's been waiting on us.
He's been looking for us. Now he's coming to us. And when we meet up with him, he's ready to fall on our neck and to kiss us with grace. Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Hallelujah. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. No one's going to get the credit but God. It's His grace. It's His grace. You would think that after we have went off to a foreign place and did whatever the flesh wanted to do, God would give up on us. God's not like man. You cross some people, they're not going to give you grace. You pull for the wrong team, Jordan. People's not going to give you grace. You vote for the wrong candidate, they're not going to give you grace. God doesn't give up on us. He's not like man. Not only is God's grace unmerited favor, but grace is also goodness of God extended to undeserving believers. God is good. Everything about Him is good. And the beautiful thing about this is He desires to give us all of His good things. That's a great place to say amen. God wants to give us things. He wants to give us grace, first of all. I've told the church before, I've been saved on numerous occasions. I'm not trying to go for any record or anything. I just know I've failed a lot and had to come back. I got to thinking about that when I was in my office. I remember needing God's grace when I was a teenager. I wasn't doing bad things. I wasn't sneaking off, doing whatever. Insert sin here. But my spirit was cold. I was standing on stage across America in church after church playing the lead guitar, doing my lines to the best of my ability. It was getting cold in my spirit. In the summer of 1986, I knew if my life ended, I was going to hell. It was a realization I don't think I'd ever ever known about before. I realized where I was. Thank God for youth camps. Thank God for youth camps. I was in Alma, Arkansas at a youth camp. And a preacher friend of ours knew me. He recognized where I was spiritually. I could still say it. I could still play it. But it wasn't in here. Pastor Don Dennis brought me up to the altar and said, Drew, you need God today. I prayed through that day. But that was the olden days when it was black and white. We were riding in covered wagons. When you got saved, they kept you there until you were filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's what happened that day. Would you stand with me? 
at the age of 19, I was looking to see what girls I could kiss. And what I really needed was grace to kiss me. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. There comes a time in all of our lives that we have to make a decision. Do I want to be a beggar? Out in the field with the pigs? Hungry for something you can't find? There's a price to pay with sin. There's a price to pay for sin. You know what? Let me say this. Looking out over this crowd, I would say, okay, God, why am I preaching this sermon today? I know all these people. They all look like Christians to me. But you know what? I know what God laid on my heart. Someone here today needs to come to find a loving Savior and let Him kiss you with His grace. He loves you enough to send you a preacher to preach it to you and let you hear it one more time. It's grace. It's grace that you need. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads with me? Christians, would you begin to pray? I'm going to ask this question. Be honest with me. Say, Pastor, I'm not where I should be. I may have been a Christian before. I'm not where I should be. What you told me today, what you showed me today through the Word, lets me realize I need to renew my life in Christ. You Maybe you've never been saved before. You need to make that commitment to Jesus. Would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, I need prayer. Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory. I don't see any hands. I'm assuming everyone in here is a believer. Here's what I want us to do. While they sing this song, I want us to find a place to pray. And I know there's people in your life, in your family, that needs God. And begin to pray for them, that their eyes will be illuminated to God's Word and to Jesus. And you'll be the example for them.